everybody from Hickory Bible Tabernacle. We're broadcasting live this morning from the church to an empty church, but we are glad you're here today, and we just trust that the Lord will meet with us and bless our time together. It's always good to be able to come together in whatever form that we're allowed to do and be able to assemble in his name, and he said that wherever two or three were gathered in his name, there he would be. And we're trusting in God's presence today. And I just ask that you would just now, as we've done over the last several services, just to kind of put everything aside and turn your home or your, uh, your space into a little sanctuary, if you like, where uh, you can invite the presence of the Lord to come in a very personal way. Uh, we're going to uh, invite Brother Jaron to come and to minister in song this morning. And um, we have several prayer requests, and I'll uh, bring some of those a little bit later on. But I wanted to ask you, um, I just sent out an update to all of you concerning uh, Sister Molly, and I just ask that you would just uh, remember her in prayer. And you may want to check your uh, email just to get some of the details uh, on her prayer request. But whatever your need is this morning, we believe that God hears uh, the request, even uh, the same as if you were in the assembly this morning and handed it to us and we had it on a piece of paper. Uh, the paper doesn't, uh, doesn't it become more effective than uh, your prayer request in the presence of God. So just hold it on your heart today as we open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to gather in your name and to be able to sing your praises, Lord, together uh, in the assembly again. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to those who are sick today and those who are reaching out. We know, Lord, that you care about everything we go through. We know, Lord, that you are attentive to the cry of your people. And, Father, I just pray that you would be strong on behalf of the needs, Lord, that are represented among us. And, Lord, we know that you care about everything that we can go through, everything that we experience. You know, Lord, that we would be in the situation we're in this morning. You know, Lord, the conditions and the times and where we have come to. And, Lord, none of that is a shock or a surprise to you. So, Lord, we just want to rest in your leadership and rest in your provision. We look to you still as Jehovah Jireh today. You're still our healer. You're still our banner. You're still our counselor. And you're able, Lord, to pour oil upon the troubled waters of our lives. Father, have your way, we pray now today in the service. Anoint everything that's done. Chase away all of our weariness, tiredness, the fatigue of trying to work in unusual circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would banish all fear and all doubt about the future. And ask, Lord Jesus, now that you would just come and meet with us in a special way today. We place ourselves and our time and our gifts into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In the
Hallelujah. We just want to enter in today, and men, we just we're happy to be here and have this avenue to present the Word of God to you and just be able to sing praises and glorify His name. Amen. I know it's hard and difficult. Wherever you may be, friend, I believe that if you can just be sincere and just create an atmosphere that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to come and and be with you wherever you may be. I can't see you. I know that you can see me. Amen. But I can feel your pull. Amen. And I just... I hope that you can just enter in with me and just make this moment special. Make the most of it. This is all we have at this time. Amen. And so we just invite you to sing with us. Musicians were playing that song earlier in the morning when I rise. I thought that was beautiful and fitting. So why don't we sing that together? In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise i 
yours. Let's sing another song. 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Still my soul will sing 
thousand years and then forever. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Jesus. Let's sing that song, Shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. My Jesus, my Savior, the Lord, there is none like you. Why don't you sing it with all your hearts? Oh, I want to praise the wonders of your mind. And my comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I have, never cease to Shout 
Worship Him, Amen, and give Him glory and honor, Amen, and praise. I believe that He deserves, Amen. This world is just filled with darkness, and people just take no note of God, and Amen. I just love any opportunity I can get to give Him that glory, Amen. Hallelujah. I hope He's blessing you in this moment, wherever you may be, my friend. Man, just reach out and pull on Him. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. Man, if you feel led to give an offering, man, we just encourage you to do that. I believe uh, we have provisions on the website for you to make donations, offerings, uh, your tithes. You can feel free to visit there and and uh, tithe an offering as unto the Lord. Amen. To bless God's people. Man, we have a special this morning. Sister Kristen is with us. Man, we're going to invite her to come at this time. Amen. And give us that special. Amen. And she's making her way. Let's just sing that little song, Draw Me Nearer. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me Sing that, of course, again. Draw me
Sister Christian, for that beautiful song. Man, it's such a blessing to have her with us and man, be able to provide that special for you. Amen. We appreciate our singers, our specialists, and our musicians. Man, we appreciate our pastor and the work everyone is doing here to, to bring this to you this morning. Amen. And we just appreciate each and every one of you for joining us and being with us. Amen. Man, we're going to invite our pastor to come at this time. I believe all of our hearts and minds are ready for the word. Man, I'd like to sing that song. I sing praises to your name. Man, I love this song. Amen. And as we sing it, just enter in. 
We pull on the gift. Amen. Just quieten everyone down. Push aside any doubt, any fear, anything that's troubling you. All of those things will be there. They're not going to go anywhere. Amen. But what's important right now is the Word of God. So let's just focus on that at this time. Amen. Sing with me now. I sing praises to your name. that I felt, uh, because I was the whole congregation, uh, felt when Sister Kristen sang that special this morning, and just to be in the song service today is just such a blessing. And so we welcome all of you again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be fine, musicians. We'll let you uh, take your places here uh, and uh, fill up the congregation just a little bit uh, so we can begin. We, uh, we are always, uh, as I've said already, we are honored to be able to gather together in his name in this place, and uh, it'll be nice when everybody uh, is able to be able to gather back in again. We're getting closer to reopening, as, uh, as you know. Uh, we're waiting on uh, permission from the state and for all practical purposes to be able to know the right way that we can gather together. And I've already had several people ask me, will we need to wear masks when we come to church? And uh, we're sure hoping that we will not. I doubt if we will have to do that, but we sure hope that we do not. But we're going to give you instructions about uh, doing that. Uh, I also, as I mentioned already, uh, we sent you an email uh, this morning early about Sister Molly. So if you want to check that email and get the details there, uh, that would be great. And please remember to keep her in prayer uh, this morning. I have my um, my amen checker here with me this morning. So it would be nice to let, uh, for you to let me know. Uh, that you're out there. That'd be really good. We also, too, want to remember Sister Anja and uh, uh, the family. As I mentioned yesterday, Rivas Pruitt, that's Brother Larry's brother, who was at the funeral, he passed away suddenly from a massive heart attack that he suffered yesterday morning. 
His wife has Parkinson's disease, and Revis was the primary caregiver for her. Uh, he looked after her uh, 24 hours a day, every day, and uh, he, was in, he was attempting actually to move her and get her from one chair to another chair uh, because she needs that kind of help. And uh, they both uh, went down in pain, and uh, he managed to call 911 and then blacked out. They took him to the hospital, and there was absolutely nothing that they could do. So that's been a real shock to the family. And uh, Sister Anja, I talked to Sister Hannah and uh, Alan. We've been communicating, and uh, we, I, I, t- I assured them that we would certainly be remembering them in prayer. Uh, also, as well, we want to continue to remember Brother Ron Spencer. Uh, this is a big week coming up for him where they're doing more scans on him, and he's just really trusting for a good result and a good report. So uh, we'd ask you to remember that need in prayer uh, as well this week. I have surgery. I mentioned in the update uh, yesterday I have surgery at 6.30 Monday morning, and uh, that will be um, two sites that they're going to do on my left arm, and it'll be the carpal tunnel to relieve the pressure there, and then also on the, the funny bone. And if you ever think that something goes wrong with your funny bone, that it's funny, it isn't funny at all. Uh, it's actually a pretty painful and pretty uncomfortable thing. And uh, I, I'm always searching for a position where I can put my arm that I don't tingle. And, uh, but it's tingling right now, and uh, it's, it's a very, uh, very strange thing. They say there's no pain like nerve pain uh, when you have it. And if you ever had back pain where some of your nerves are compressed, uh, it's a similar feeling to that, and uh, there's numbness that goes with that. But they say that when they open that up, then uh, Lord willing that the, the feeling will come back again. And uh, we would sure appreciate you uh, remembering that in prayer. Now, uh, my, my biggest worry is that uh, they say that the skin around this part of your wrist does not heal like normal skin. Uh, it, it takes a little longer to heal up. So that's why I mentioned about five weeks or so. So they said you cannot lift your grandchildren, especially my grandchildren are pretty solid, and you can't lift them for about five to six weeks afterwards. But um, I'm not expecting to be out for five or six weeks. Uh, Lord willing, Brother Aaron McGeary is going to take Wednesday night service. But um, if you don't remind, uh, mind remembering that need also in prayer, we sure would appreciate that. And um, it would be a quick recovery from that. So let me give you a couple of quick announcements here this morning uh, as we uh, announce our birthdays. May 3rd today is Sister Angie Pruitt's uh, birthday. On May 6th, uh, Billy and Liddy Ivy uh, have their birthday as well. And it's not Brother Billy's birthday on May 6th. And I'll, that's a mistake, uh, I believe, that that is on there. So we'll have to correct that. But if Brother Billy, if you have your birthday and anniversary on the same day, God bless you doubly. Uh, but I, I, I believe that that's a mistake there. We'll have to check that out. May 8th, uh, Sister Jackie Sylvester, her birthday, and then Sister Carrie Whitlock, her birthday, uh, on the same day. And then May 9th is Mitch Buchanan's birthday. So we trust that all of you will be blessed. All right, we're going to look directly into the Word this morning in Isaiah chapter 33. And we want to take just one verse out of there this morning, and we'll look in... uh, 
Isaiah, just to catch a passage there. Now, I don't know if you stand when we read the Bible or not, but I appreciate all of our congregation here standing this morning, and I appreciate them being here. I just wanted to give a um, a special shout-out here. We appreciate our musicians and everybody coming, Sister Kristen coming this morning. Uh, And I need you to know that their families are not even able to come with them because we have a 10-person limit here in the building. So their families could not even come along with them. And I appreciate them peeling away today and coming to be with us. But I'd like to give another special shout-out to Brother Jeremy for the work that he's done. And uh, he's kept us all connected here technically from home and from the church and uh, sometimes comes just by himself to make that connection. And uh, we really appreciate his uh, work and his timeless effort, thankless effort many times. Uh, you know, lots of people have thanked me for having the service, but I, it, would be a, it would be a poor service if we didn't have our tech crew. So we appreciate Brother Jeremy uh, taking, uh, taking that responsibility. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about stability in troubled times, and I want to piggyback a little on what we've been talking about over the last couple of services, and uh, we'll read in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 6, first of all. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and the strength of, and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed, Lord, to be able to gather together this morning, be able to have this kind of a service in a time, Lord, when it's physically impossible to meet. But, Lord, we know that technically we have a way, and we're thankful for that. We ask you to bless that way now. Bless this uh, gathering of your people. May, Lord, it just minister to every heart and every soul, everyone that's listening and tuning in, those that are archiving later on. We ask, Lord, that you would just reach down and just minister, overshadow us, Lord, and just touch our hearts, I pray. And, Lord, there are many who are sick and many who are needy and suffering loss. We think of uh, Brother Larry's brother, Revis, today and his family. And, Lord, we ask that you would comfort his family and minister to them as only the Holy Spirit can. Lord, grant to us, I pray, your unction today. May you forgive us of anything and everything that would be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we just present ourselves. I present myself today and just ask that you would just take this vessel, Lord, and use it for your glory. And, Father, may you just uh, have your way among us, I pray, bring understanding of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This year, because we uh, have such unusual circumstances, there are lots of things that are uh, changed and canceled and postponed for the rest of the year, events that, uh, you know, will not be taking place. One of the things that's going to happen uh, this year, and I think to the disappointment of many young people, is that there will not be school graduations. Or if they do have graduation ceremonies, they will be modified in a great way. So they won't be normal graduation ceremonies. And there will be a lot of, uh, I'm sure, a lot of disappointed kids who will feel like, well, they never really... They never really completely finished the run, the, the race. They never really uh, got it, even though they'll have, um, uh, you know, they'll have a diploma in their hand and they will have uh, pictures maybe of themselves in a hazmat suit, you know, in a, in a, in a cap and gown. Uh, they, they will probably feel like they, you know, they missed out on a, on a significant part of the whole experience by not having uh, their graduation. 
But uh, let me assure you that at least for those kids, I think we have a couple who are graduating here in the church, uh, we'd like to be able to acknowledge and celebrate their graduation this year. So don't worry, we'll do that. Uh, I was really hoping, in the back of my mind, I was hoping that we'd be able to get together by Mother's Day and be able to have a dinner together. I kind of thought when this all began that we would be concluded by then, but it looks like we may not. And so we may have to celebrate Mother's Day uh, by ourselves and, and uh, doing it the way we've been doing over the last couple of months. But uh, I'd just like to say this, that uh, I, I want you to understand that according to the Bible, there's going to be one graduation that you're not going to miss. There's going to be one, uh, one completion ceremony that you're not going to miss, or time of completion, and that is the, uh, the time when you graduate from the school of adoption. We are all, as we know, we are all uh, as sons and daughters of God. We're all, we've all been going through a, a training and a, a maturing process that the Holy Spirit has overseen himself. Uh, and, and, and quite honestly, he has, uh, he has personally overseen uh, your adoption. He's personally overseen your training uh, through all the years that uh, he's got you on this earth. And there are certain things that he wanted you to learn. There are certain things that he wanted you to be. Uh, there are certain things that he placed inside you that uh, he wanted to bring out. And not only bring out, but bring out and refine and mature. And uh, he, he's worked very hard at that. He's, he's used, utilized lots and lots of resources in order to accomplish that and bring that to pass. So let me assure you, when, when God feels like you're adopted and ready and, uh, you know, able to be used of God, perhaps in a greater way, you're not going to miss that graduation. Uh, God's going to acknowledge that and the whole world will know. Even though they may not, they may not agree with what you have to do or they may not uh, see it the way that, uh, you know, we would honor a graduate in a natural sense. Let me tell you something. God knows exactly when your time of maturing comes. And I believe that for us in this last day, we've uh, got a special responsibility because we are the people that are going to cross the divide between this kingdom and the kingdom to come without death. And we're going to have to be in a place similar in some ways to Enoch uh, because he walked with God and had a testimony that he pleased God and then God took him for he was not. So we believe we're going to uh, walk a very unique path before this thing is all over. And God's goal is, is really for that graduation of his people uh, so that uh, we come to a place where uh, we enjoy a liberty that the world will never understand. We enjoy a, li- a glorious liberty, the Bible says, of, of the sons of God. We find that in Romans 8.21, where it says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, this is a, um, it's kind of a, a special passage there, and uh, it is one that... Uh, Paul talks about and, and describes here in the last day. If you don't mind, take your Bible and hold on to uh, Isaiah chapter 33 and go back to Romans chapter 8 just for a moment here. Because I want to read a little passage. I want to read a portion of that again in another version here. Now, just hang on with me as we develop this uh, topic this morning a little bit. Adoption's goal is liberty. When we say that we go through, we're going through the process of adoption, and every one of us are, um, we need to learn things. We need to learn to do things the Father's way, as as we've often defined adoption. Uh, we we need to come to a place where my name is as good on the check as the Father's name, 
and whatever whatever the father would do, that's that's the way we would think, that's the way we would process things, that's the way we would actually function, is the same way that God would do uh, if he were here. And that's quite a high calling for us. That's quite a high honor for us to be able to do things just like the Father has done it. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a, uh, in a sense, a very humbling thing that God would choose us and train us to think differently than everybody else in the world and think the way that Jesus uh, would, would operate. That, that's really quite a high calling that God's given to us. So uh, I want to summarize that and say that the end of that training is the goal. The, the training we go through is important, but the end of that is the, really the goal that God's working towards. And what he's after is for you to be able to stand there and operate in the liberty or the freedom to do exactly what God's predestinated you to do. So that's what he's looking for. The liberty means, when Paul describes the liberty in Romans 8.21, he's actually describing the, the moment when you are able to function and operate in the role that God's predestinated you for. For instance, let's just say this, that we know in the, in the Old Testament, the, the character Joseph, uh, he was trained for many years. He went to Potiphar's house and he went to uh, the prison for all of those years. That was not the goal, for him to be an overcomer in the jail. It's a good thing. And he learned lots of things there, but that was not the goal. The goal was is that he would eventually come to where he was free from jail and free from all restriction, and he was able to operate with the gifts and talents God had given him and predestinated him for to be able to save the whole world by uh, using the wisdom that God had uh, developed in him to be able to uh, uh, see his brothers and his family all be able to be fed during that famine time that was coming. It was all these other pieces of the puzzle that were going on. And God used Joseph uh, at, at the end of all of that training to be able to operate in a channel or in a capacity where he could do everything God predestinated him to do. And so the end result was not Potiphar's house. The end result was not the jail. The end result was when Joseph could stand there and make choices and decisions as though God were standing there making decisions himself. And to be able to operate in that channel with the liberty and the freedom uh, to be able to accomplish what God predestinated him to be there for in the first place. Does that make sense? And every And all five of you said... And, and that's a, that's a, a great, uh, a great goal that God has. Or we could say this, that Moses in all the years of training that he had in the palace and all the, uh, things that his mother taught him and all the things that the wilderness taught him and all of that, uh, and the things he, he learned and the things he unlearned over that whole period of time. All of that was not really the end result. It was not the goal. The goal was when he could come back and stand in front of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And bring the children out of bondage and bring them back uh, into the place where they could cross over into the promised land. The training is important because the training allows him to be able to stand there and, and, and unequivocally say, I'm here because God sent me. I'm here because God placed me. And I know my God and I know what he wants and I know what his will is and I know what I'm supposed to do. And he stood there with all confidence and without any fear or hesitation and stood there and said, let my people go. I am that deliverer. I am here to take the children of Israel back to the promised land according to the promise that God gave to Abraham. And so the glorious liberty comes when we're able to stand and operate in that channel that God's predestinated us for. Now, for you, our job in this last day is not to open up Red Seas, and it's probably not to uh, multiply bread and fish, but our job is to stand and say unequivocally, we are the bride of Jesus Christ, we know where we're going, 
and we're going to look death in the face and say, let my people go, and we're going to walk right through the, uh, the Jordan River over onto the other side. And to act and to stand and to believe and to profess and to confess that we are indeed the bride of Jesus Christ, and we are on a journey, and nothing's going to stop us. And that's the liberty that God wants you to enjoy. That's the place that God wants you to come. And so as we, as we look at this in Romans chapter 8, uh, the, the language of this passage has always been a bit, um, a bit unclear, if you like, uh, when we read it. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the, uh, for the uh, manifestation of the sons of God. Now, hold on to that passage there. Uh, not unclear in the sense that we don't understand what's going on. But let me read it to you in another version, just for your own edification here. He, Paul writes, he says, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day, I'm in verse 19, when God will reveal who his children really are. Let me tell you, the first people who are going to get that revelation are the children of God, are the sons and daughters of God. God's giving us that revelation. God's trying to mold that in us now, and God is bringing that out through the teaching of adoption. I'm in verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager expectation. The creation looks for the, for the, forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Let me read it again. Against its will, verse 20, the creature was made subject to vanity. In other words, the, the creation itself was bound. It was unable to express itself as it really, uh, as it really is. Because the earth came under the curse, right? The earth was judged when Adam and Eve were judged. All the lower creation was. And so therefore the earth was put into a cycle where it was not able to really express things like it did in the Garden of Eden when God created it. And there was no curse. So it was subject to vanity. It was made to be lesser than what it really was created to be. But it groans for that opportunity to fully express or to have the liberty to be like a Garden of Eden again. When we, go, when we come back to this earth again, folks, it will not be like it is today. It will rather, though, be like it was in the Garden of Eden because that's the full and true expression of the earth as God made it. Does that make sense? Just like you, when you come back to this earth again, you will not be trapped in the, in the body that you have that's full of decay and eyeglasses and all the other pains and suffering that we have. Uh, you will not be trapped in a body like that, but you'll be in a body that will be able to release the full enjoy, enjoyment and the full peace and, and the health and strength of a real son and a daughter of God. There'll be no pain, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no difficulty over on that other side. So the Bible says, and again I'm in 20, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, and we believers also do groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And everybody said, everybody online said, we've got to wait for them now to, to chime in here. We too wait for the eager hope of the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children. 
I'm in verse 23 here in the last part. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We wait for that. We long for that. We look forward to that. That's a promise. That's an advantage of knowing God, isn't it? That you have promises that are going to come to pass, and one day we're going to step into that. We were given this hope when we were saved. And as Paul reads on the rest of it there, we're given that hope, and one day that hope will come to pass. So one day we will enjoy the glorious liberty of the sons of God, and and it will be ours to to enjoy forever. So remember now, when, when, uh, when Joseph stood in, in the court of Pharaoh and had all power uh, given to him over the creation at that particular time, he could stand there and say, God put me here. God put me right here. I know, I know who I am, and I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm called to do, and I know what I've been trained to do, and I know how to do it well. It doesn't intimidate me at all. I know, um, you know, there's, there's certain things you know by virtue of your training. And when it comes to trying to do something else, uh, it, would make me, it would make you really nervous if you were called upon something you weren't trained to do, right? Uh, so, you know, um, I, I, for instance, I could have my, uh, my air conditioning break down. You know, that's always a great scare for homeowners. And I, I could have it break down. And uh, I could look at that and I could hear certain sounds and certain things. And I, I, one thing I do know, it's not working, that's for sure. And so I could get on YouTube and I could look up all the different videos that are on there. And there's probably a million or two that are there to fix the problem that you have. But to actually get in there and roll up your sleeves and take a screwdriver out and begin to take that thing apart. Now, that's a little bit of a different story. That's a little daunting to actually do that. And that would, um, I got to think about, well, what would my family say if I really mess this up? And what would... Uh, you know, what, what am I going to tell a repairman when I eventually have to call him and say, I tried this and I tried that. And when the smoke cleared, then, you know what, I saw that it didn't really work. Now, that, that would be, so, in other words, that would be a little bit daunting for me. I, I'd be hesitant about doing that. I might give it a shot, but I'd be hesitant about it. I wouldn't have the confidence that, that say, Brother Jaron would have. And, you know, he looks at that, and, you know, they take out certain, you watch those uh, repairmen come, and they'll first take out those little testers, and they just kind of, they know right where to put them, and they, they'll, they'll just lay it on there and lay it on there, and, oh, oh, this is a problem. There you go. And then they'll go get a certain tool, and they'll come back and bang. You know, I had a, a guy come this week, and he uh, had to take apart the gas logs in my fireplace. And uh, pretty soon he's, he's hunting me up. And he just I let him in, and he's looking at the thing. And then pretty soon he's coming looking for me, want me to sign the invoice. And I said, are you done? He says, yeah. It only needed this and this and this. And I'm thinking, wow. And, of course, that's when you always think, I could have done that. Right? I could have done that. But then the question then is begged to be asked, well, why didn't you do that? <clears throat> well, because I didn't really know where to start. Do you ever have conversations with yourself like that? I have them all the time. There are some things that you're just not trained to do, so therefore you don't go at it with confidence. You don't go at it with certain expectation, you know, uh, that you're going to be successful. Now, there's other things that I've been trained to do. So, uh, you know, like somebody will say, hey, listen, uh, you know, we're going to have an event here, and all the church people are going to be gathered, and our MC is not showing up. Uh, you need to say this. If you go ahead and, and uh, be ready to speak. Well, okay, no problem. Now, for some people, that would be cause for heart failure. 
right? For some people, they would, they would just absolutely die. But God gave me a mouth that was easily opened, and so, you know, it's not a problem for me to be able to stand there and, and just be able to wing it and uh, tell everybody what I know and some things that I don't know. And that's just the way that it is. But uh, we are trained to do certain things. We're not all trained to do the same thing. Joseph was not trained to do what Moses did. And Moses wasn't trained to do what Noah did. But, but God trained them to do a specific thing. But the, the main, the main uh, statement that they made was that uh, God put me here. God put me here for this season, for this time, and, and this is exactly what I'm here to do. And you know what? Because God is behind this and God has empowered me to do this, you're not going to stop it. And he had, they had the boldness to be able to say that. So when Moses stood in Pharaoh's court and uh, looking, at, looking at Pharaoh eye to eye and face to face and saying, let my people go, he was not asking him, would he? He was actually giving him a commandment. Because Moses was a lawgiver, uh, you know, a mediator and a lawgiver, and he's standing there giving uh, Pharaoh, the king of the land, the most powerful person, the most powerful country, and he's looking at him and giving him a command, standing there with a shepherd's stick in his hand and saying, let my people go. I'm here to tell you what you're going to do because God has sent me here to do it. Now, let me tell you, that's different than somebody just having a little bit of self-confidence here. But that's somebody that's anointed in a channel to carry out what God's actually predestinated him to do. And there's nothing going to stop that. And he's been trained to do that. He's gone through all kinds of things in life in order to get him to where he is. And and now God's got it. I say this to you today. There are waves of sin that are coming. There are troubles that are on on its road. Uh, You better be in position. And the position that God's ordained for you to be in by the time this thing winds up. Or by the time this thing really breaks wide open. You better be in position to be able to stand there and say, yeah, but God put me here. You know what? I'm here because God's designed it. I'm here because God allowed the bride to be here until the, all of this thing uh, winds up. And there's going to be a door open for the bride to leave. But I'm here because God's chosen to have me live in this particular age, in this particular time. At the end of the ages, God chose me to be here. So Satan can rage all he wants to around me here. And he can wreak havoc with the governments and the economy and everything else. But you know what? I'm here because God's ordained me to be here. You're going to need to stand with that kind of confidence tonight, uh, today in this hour. Now we know by virtue of our experience now, we know that events in one particular 24-hour cycle can change the entire course of the world's uh, direction and the world's priorities. 9-11 taught us that, right? 9-11 taught us that. Or, uh, you know, the, the virus coming in, in a very short period of time, in a week or two, the whole world is covered, it's almost covered with, a, like, the imagery is almost like the world is covered with a blanket, that uh, nothing functions the way that it did, and the entire economy grinds to a halt, and then has a great deal of trouble starting back up again. Let me tell you something. We know that the world's events can change very quickly, and there are consequences that ripple and will continue to ripple for even years to come. Um, we, we are inundated with information about all this stuff. And, uh, you know, even though uh, none of us are experts about that, we've all kind of become Google experts about this. Uh, but I will tell you something that we're all going to li- be living in a world that's going to be different than what it was prior to uh, February of this year. But you know what? That does not change God's purpose for my life. He's been training me for this. And he knew exactly what I had need of and the confidence and the faith I needed to have for the hour that we're living in. And I will tell you something. I found this statement in 1947 here. Brother Bram said, when the time of the promise drew nigh, this is talking about Israel, and the people began at that time to see that there was something happened to them. There were some troubles that came. And God always causes troubles, mostly always, to bring the people together. 
So troubles do not drive God's people away. Troubles do not push uh, the bride of Christ away from the promise, but rather tends to bring them together. I believe when we come back together in this place, I believe we'll probably be more together than we have ever been. Because trouble does not, uh, does not accomplish uh, division among us, but trouble rather uh, brings us closer together. And that's what God has been training us to do. That's what God is training us to become, is to be able to stand with the liberty and the confidence to know exactly what, uh, what God has called us and placed us here for. Now, in the Lamb's Book of Life, 1956, Brother Branham says now, The wise virgin went away in the translation, and those others came and knocked and said, What happened? They're looking for oil for their lamp. And the Bible said that they were cast into outer darkness, and they were weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And when the tribulation period hit Egypt, there wasn't one thing struck the Israelites because they were in God's provided place. Goshen, no tribulations at all. No tribulations at all. And the rest of them was in tribulation, but not this one. And all these things being shadows, all these things being shadows, they got to type something. So the children of Israel were there in God's provided place, and there was no tribulations there, and the rest of them was in tribulation. So I, I, I would say to you uh, today that it would be good for you not to predict how God is going to bring us through a time of pre-tribulation without uh, being so close to all the problems that exist in this world. How I, I, I would suggest that you try not to figure out how God's going to do that. I just believe he's going to do it. That sometimes, you know, you can come to the place where you think, well, my boss just told everybody we're not going to have work. Hey, listen, God's got to have an answer for that, right? If, if there's a, a lacking of something in your life that you have need of and God promised to supply our needs, I would, if I were you, I'd be looking for the way and the method that God's going to use to bring things into your life that probably will happen supernaturally. And I think we're on the doorstep of God doing a lot of supernatural things for his people uh, coming up the road. I just believe that. But I will say this. The requirement for the people of God is that they've got to be in God's provided place. That's the important thing. You don't need to figure out how it's all going to happen. You don't need to figure out how long am I going to have to endure. you just got to be in God's provided place. And when you're there and you can stand and say, God put me here, then you really don't need to worry about the things that, that, will, uh, that will befall us. Now... <clears throat> I was just doing a little research on Goshen, and uh, the, the, the Bible is very clear. The, the quotes are very clear. Uh, there, there's a consistency with the way Brother Branham talked about Goshen. And, and he simply said that they were, uh, you know, in this place, and they were protected. There was light there. Uh, there was a lack of many of the problems that the rest of the world uh, were facing at that particular time. And it was choice ground. If, if you look at, um, you know, the scenery, and this was a, an image that was found as a stock photo here, but this is an area around the region where Goshen was actually located, and it was a place that's quite contrary to the rest of the desert, arid region here that you see in the, in the map, where Goshen was actually, um, you know, in a choice area. I don't know if that enlarged there for you. Look at that. Look at that. My, what an age we live in. But it was, it was in comparison, a stark contrast to the conditions that surrounded it. This is sand. There's nothing else here but sand. 
and they are just above the equator in this particular image here. But in this part of the, of the greenery here is right where Goshen was. So this would have been at the confluence of a couple of rivers, the Nile River, and been close to that. So they would have had water for irrigation. It would have been kind of an ideal setting altogether where they had uh, opportunities to grow and opportunities to be able to, um, you know, enjoy the, the, the bounty of the earth and all the rest of it there. These were, these were good, good places for the children of Israel to be. And it was because God had established that and God had allowed them to, uh, you know, to come into that spot. Questions and answers on Genesis 1953. Now, in the Old Testament, when you see the plagues falling, they were in Egypt. And God was bringing his people out to the promised land. Israel never received one plague. So I want you to notice that while they were there, they were only there because God was in process of moving in from one place to another. They were not there because, you know, they had grown there, uh, you know, lived there for hundreds and thousands of years. That wasn't it. They came there with Jacob and they, you know, they followed, uh, you know, the circumstances down into Egypt. And now God is in the process of moving them and, and he's taking them from where they were now to back to the fulfillment of the promise. And before it went, they went into Goshen, and the sun never did dim out. No mosquitoes came. No frogs were there. No lice was there. No storms were there. No lightning was there. No killing of cattle was there. And everything they had was preserved in Goshen. So everything they had was preserved in Goshen. It's a type of the church going just before the tribulation period. And Jesus, I remember this is 1953, so he's referring to the elect. Here, it's a, it's a type of them going before the tribulation period. And Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. So your job now, this is, what, this is what Jesus tells us as he's pointing and referring back to this. Your job now is to simply recognize the day you're living in. And, and recognize that you're living in God's provided place. Lift up your head. Because you know what? The next thing is the change of your body. God's going God's gonna, to, through this process of bringing these people from here to there, God's going to change our bodies so that we can cross over without death. So we should lift up our heads and, and uh, look for the uh, complete redemption of our, of our bodies or the complete uh, fulfillment of the process. And remember, God's trained us and brought us here for a particular reason, right? God has, God has uh, accumulated everything in our lives and, and, and used things in our lives to bring us to a place where we could stand and recognize, number one, I need to be in God's chosen place. And then when you're there, to recognize, yes, I am in God's chosen place. I am I'm where God supposed, uh, wants me to be. And I'm doing what God wants me to be doing. And all of those things are, are, are in place. Even if I can't change stuff, and even if I can't change the circumstances around me, I know I'm where God wants me to be. And then he takes us on to the next step. It's a calling through the Word of God. Now, hang on. I know I'm being basic here in this understanding. But I want you to, I want you to pick up a little uh, thing here in the book of Exodus. And if you have your Bible, just flip back here to the book of Exodus. This is the only place where this little story is mentioned here in Exodus chapter 17. This is fresh out of Egypt. This is fresh out into the wilderness. They leave in Exodus 12 and 13. That's where they have the Passover. And they leave, and so they're beginning on their journey here. This is the experience of leaving, coming through the Red Sea, and they're out in the wilderness here. And it says in verse 8, And then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So they were, they were on their way now. They were out of Egypt, but they had a battle. 
And this battle was caused, ironically, by someone who was the grandson of Esau. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And this is the very first uh, human battle that they fought when they came out of Egypt. And Amalek had become a strong people. They were warrior people. So they had lots of munitions. They would have had sharpened swords and uh, perhaps chariots and other weapons against Israel. you got to remember, Israel is a community people. They're not a bunch of soldiers that have left Egypt. They are just family men. Right? They're, they're sheep herders and all the rest of it. And they come out there and uh, it says in verse 8 that Amalek, Amalek came along, who should have not, not been one to resist Israel, but did and resisted Israel for many, many years to come after this. And then it says in 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow... I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now, the important thing here is the rod of God. The rod of God was a symbol of all the great victories and accomplishments that that, uh, Moses had done among the people, right? The rod was the one that, the same one that Moses threw down and it turned into a snake and ate the others. This was the rod that Moses held up and the Red Sea parted the way. This is the rod that Moses was going to strike the rock with and all the other uh, great things that, that uh, happened there. This rod became a symbol of victory. It became a symbol of strength. And so the rod of God was the thing that uh, Moses wanted the people to watch. He was not saying, I want the people to see me, but he wanted them to see the symbol of strength and the symbol of victory and the supernatural presence of God represented by this rod. I want them to see that. And so Joshua did as Moses had said to him in verse 10, and fought with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So the enemy will take advantage of every opportunity he can in order to gain ground against God's people. But here's Moses now holding up his hand. And when his hands were heavy in 12, and they took a stone, they put it underneath him, he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stirred up the, his, stayed up his hands, and the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So as a result of that victory now, here's what God says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this. I want you to write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the years of Joshua, and I will utterly put the remembrance of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our ensign. The Lord is our shield. The Lord is the one that uh, we want to lift high in the parade of life. And wherever we go, as long as we hold him up high, there will be victory in the camp. And that's really what he was wanting them to understand. And he wanted them to write this as a memorial for the book and rehearse it in the years of Joshua. For I will utterly put the remembrance of Amalek from under, put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of that place Jehovah Nisi. And he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this is the idea, and I want to just preserve my voice here a little bit. This was the the symbol that the people of Israel could look at and realize that the presence of God was actually with them and could actually understand that uh, as long as as the rod of God was in view, there there was hope for the people of God. 
And you know what? God puts symbols. God puts things uh, in our pathway as well, in the same way that he's done all through the, the, the time. Like he put the brass serpent on the, on the rod in the wilderness on the cross there, and uh, even the symbol of the cross itself uh, for us. We have, we have uh, reminders. We have things, and, and God wanted the people to actually see it. He didn't want them just to think about it, but he wanted them to see it. And, uh, you know, to be able to have it in your mind and have, it, have something that's, that's tangible that you can look at it realize, you know what? We're going to look and live. We're going to look and be victorious. We're going to look and, and believe that God is with us. We have, we have a symbol of that. And, and you remember later on, even when the uh, Philistines stole the Ark of God, you remember that? They found it on the battlefield and they stole it and brought it down to their, uh, down to their camp. A symbol was a strong representative, a representation of victory. Or loss in one way or another. Israel was defeated because they had let, lost the ark. And they were defeated in their spirit. And the Philistines were very happy because they had captured uh, the, the tabernacle of God, the little ark. And so whenever, whenever God puts something, uh, you know, in, in our path to remind us of his presence there, it's something that we should continually look to. And when we look to it, it builds confidence. And for us, it, it, it isn't always a symbol because we're not a people who follow or collect relics and uh, tangible things in order for us to uh, wear like good luck charms. We, 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 I would say this, we've matured a little bit beyond that. But it doesn't hurt for us to have testimonies of things that God has done. It doesn't hurt for us to share, you know, I was sick and I was in need or I lost my job or something else. And, uh, you know, God did this and God, God provided this and God, uh, you know, allowed this to happen in my life. Let me tell you, those testimonies are things that we can look to and we can share. We can tell our children, hey, look to this, look to this story, look to this testimony here. You know, we have, uh, we have uh, graves, we have uh, monuments and so forth, but I'll tell you what, my faith is not built when I go down and look at Branham Tabernacle. I'm thankful for what God has done there. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful for what God has actually accomplished there. But our faith is built upon the action of a living God. Our faith is built upon the exploits of that God. And the action of the Holy Spirit. And so God wanted, uh, uh, Abraham, God wanted Joshua uh, and Moses to record this. You're going to need it. Uh, sometimes you think the, the great battles you have right now are the greatest things you're ever going to face. You know what? You're going to need to be reminded up the road. He said, make sure you give this to Aaron here. Make sure you give this to Joshua uh, in uh, verse 14. Make sure you let Joshua have it, the testimony here, because you know what? He's going to face enemies up the road, and he's going to need it as well. If you look in the pr- chapter pr- prior to this one, in chapter 16, I believe that it is, uh, it, there's, a story, there's stories there of the children of Israel, how they complain and how they murmur against God because there's not enough uh, bread and they're, they're tired of the bread. All, this is only Exodus 17, and they're not gone very long, but they're already complaining about this and the dryness of thirst and so on. They don't have enough fresh water, and they're crying out to God, and God is kind of reminding him in this whole story of Jehovah Nissi that, you know what, you're going to face greater battles. You're going to, you think this is bad, you're going to face greater things. But you know what, the God who is with you here is the God also who's going to be with you up here. And so just keep looking to God's testimonies, look into God's exploits, and look into the things that God has done. And uh, it reminds us that uh, there is hope for the future for sure. Now... <clears throat> I want to come back to Isaiah 33, if you don't mind. And uh, 
I'd like you to turn in your Bible there just for a moment, Isaiah chapter 33. <clears throat> 32 and 33 and some of the parts surrounding this are are promises and prophecies that deal with future events, okay? And there, there, uh, there are descriptions there that Isaiah gives about things that are going to happen in the future. In verse chapter 32, if you'll go back there to verse 1, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. It's a prophecy that Isaiah gives. This is the way the world is going to be. This is not the way the world is, but this is the way the world's going to be. And verse 15 says, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Whenever you see those phrase, fruitful field, it means that there's a great abundance, a great harvest that's there compared to the desert condition that exists now. And then... Then future judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteous shall remain in the fruitful field. So this is like God's established kingdom that's coming. There will be justice, and there will be peace, and there will be fruit, and there will be uh, green things that grow. And in 17, the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwelling. Sure dwellings means that these are not temporary boots that we are going to live in on a journey somewhere. But this is our eternal home. This is our habitation. And Isaiah is describing that whole time that we'll come to where we will live in this place. And we will have sure dwellings. We will have stable places to live. I could go here. As I read through this, I, real, I, I was thinking, I could go here. I could, I could live in a place like this. A place where there is righteousness, a place where there is justice, a place where there is quietness and assurance forever, a place where we have sure dwellings, that you're not afraid of what tomorrow might bring. You're not afraid of what the future holds. You're living in a future that's completely designed by God with no influence of the devil. I could live there. And, and this is not now, because this is in the time of Babylonian captivity. This is in the time of, of great difficulty for Israel. But Isaiah's prophesying, and he's looking ahead here. And he's saying that uh, we will live in sure dwellings and in quiet places. And when it shall hail, coming down on the forest, and the city shall be in a low place. In other words, uh, the, the hail will flatten the high spots, but we'll be safe in the low place. So whatever danger, whatever danger or trouble might come, whatever negativity is there, God's already got to, he, hey, listen, I've got this. That, that's the idea that Isaiah is trying to convey. Blessed are ye that soul beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. God's going to bless your harvesting. You know, you, 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 you have a, a peaceful habitation. You can go ahead and build and sow, and you can reap in your harvest, and it'll be a good place. So this is the idea that we find in Isaiah 32 and 33. And then he says, uh, let's pick it up in ver- verse 2, and I'm in chapter 33 here for time's sake. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, and our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult of the, uh, of the, sorry, at the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. So when it came to the time where God actually stepped up to take control again, 
the people fled. The people took off. People who didn't know their God, they, 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 uh, they vacated the place altogether because they had no roots. They were not established by God. So they're not called to be there. They're not uh, rooted in that place. And so therefore they fled, they scattered, and your spoils shall be gathered, verse 4, like the gathering uh, of the caterpillar as a running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. How do locusts run? They run in a swarm. Right? If you've ever seen the, the clips of the recent locust swarms that came through Kenya and, and Ethiopia and so forth, they come and they, they don't know which way they're going to go. They're watching them. The scientists are watching the, the locusts in the sky and all of a sudden they'll shift just like the wind. They'll go a certain direction and they'll just land on a place and they'll eat everything that's there. And what Isaiah is actually uh, describing is that when people are, uh, the people who once had control, the people who exploited the land and even raped the land, raped, destroyed the earth, God's going to be like a swarm of locusts that wherever they go, God's going to go and he's going to find them. He's just going to swoop down over them and destroy all they had. So the riches of this earth will not remain to the rich at present. They'll not remain with those people that are unjustly in control right now. In other words, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. I'm not saying that. But when you have wealth, when because you have destroyed the earth, that's something that God remembers. All right? And so he's going to send a swarm of locusts and destroy that so they will have nothing in that day. In verse 5, And the Lord is exalted, and he dwelleth on high, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. In other words, he comes out on top. That at the center of the earth again, that God's going to dwell in Zion with his people, and out of there shall come righteousness, out of there shall come judgment. He'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's what the Bible tells us. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is also his treasure. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without and the ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste, and the wayfaring man cease. He hath broken the covenant. He hath broken the covenant, hath despised the cities, and regarded no man. So again, we have this contrast of God's people who have stability, and the rest of the world falling apart. We have the contrast of people who enjoy righteousness and peace and judgment, and the rest of the world that's fleeing at the presence of God. The very one that's supposed to bring blessing and peace and righteousness and judgment and honor and all of that is the one they're running from because they have no idea who the real true God is. You understand, God has been training us to recognize our place, to recognize him, to recognize our part in him, and to recognize where we're supposed to stand in this last day. And God's given you an expectation that's different than the rest of the world. You know what? Everybody in the world wants to go back to the way things were. That's especially true right now. But for us, you know what our prayer is? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Whatever you've got to do to bring the, bring the bride to the place they need to be, Lord, let it happen. Because we believe that we have a measure of protection. I just read it to you about Goshen there. We have a measure of protection because we are in Christ. And therefore, we're not afraid of what the future holds. We're not afraid of where God's taking us. We're not afraid, even though we may not understand, we are not afraid of the darkness that lays ahead of us. Because there's a voice that calls us by faith through that darkness into a brighter land on the other side. 
And it's only people that have been trained. It's only people that have been uh, called into this process of adoption that are being trained to do that. The world is going in a completely different direction. They want to have leaders. And I can see the, the stage being set for the world wanting to have a leader who brings stability to situations like we're in. Isn't that true? Now, who, who, by now, who's got confidence left in, in, in leadership uh, at the top levels today in our country? They've turned it all into a political bowl of oatmeal, right? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's all about the re-election that's coming and the election uh, process that's coming and all the other things that are being said, and he's not allowed to say this, and he can't, you know, he said this, but I don't believe that, and, you know, all these other things that are going on, and we're all kind of standing here saying, well, who do we listen to? Better off calling Brother Andy Irish or Sister April Grant and uh, Brother Jonathan and, you know, just call them and ask them, hey, listen, what do you think I should do? I mean, I get better answers from them practically than we hear on, the, on, on some of the broadcasts that are out there to the point where you don't even want to listen to it anymore because it becomes so confusing. And, I mean, um, I, don't, yeah, I don't want to, you know, have you out marching around the, the Capitol here in Raleigh, but you, you understand what I'm saying? It, there's no stability in that. There's no, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And so our expectation doesn't lie in that. We're not, we're not hoping for solutions out of that. You know what? That's going to be the way that it is. But God's given us a more sure word of prophecy to hold on to. He's given us something better to hold on to that's going to guide us through this darkness and get us to where we need to be. The whole world around us is falling apart. But the people of God, we're looking for something very different than what the world's looking to. I can see how the world would want to have somebody like a pope or a, a monarch or somebody that would say, hey, everyone, here's what we need to do. And somebody to make sense. Everybody at this point, a lot of people in the world would rally to him, wouldn't they? If somebody stood up and had a clear, clear voice and a clear answer and a strong platform, people would rally to him because they're tired of all this wishy-washy stuff and the confusion that's there. I can see how we can go to one world leader. It's not as far-fetched as what you might think, that we would come under one system, that we would come under one headship in this world, and the people would not run from that so much. They would probably, many of them would run to it. I can see how we're at that point. But now the bride, they're listening to a different voice, right? My sheep know my voice. So we're already attuned. We're not waiting to figure out what the voice of God sounds like. We're just waiting to find out what the voice of God says next. Did you get that? We're not waiting to figure out what the voice of God sounds like. We, are, we already understand that. We're waiting to figure out, all right, Lord, what's next? Guide us next. Open up your word, Lord. Because that's what our eyes are upon. Our eyes are not upon CNN. Our eyes are not upon the governments here. Our eyes are upon the word of God. So, Lord, what's next? And you know what? That comes because you've been trained to look that way. We've been trained as adopted sons of God to look into the Word of God and get our direction from there. That's what God's done over these years. In the years that you might have thought God was doing nothing, in the years that you might have thought it was just false doctrine accumulating out there, God's had you sitting underneath the hearing of the Word to know exactly where you should be looking every hour of every day. And for any kind of decision or any kind of problem you face, we come back to the Word and back to the Word. you got problems in your church, we come back to the Word. you got problems in your body, we come back to the Word. I lose my job, I go back and find a promise that I can hold on to. And that's exactly what we've been trained to do. And now, when trouble comes in the, in the world, we don't do anything different. We just come right back to the Word of God and say, Lord, what are, you, what are you telling us? I'm telling you that in times of trouble, there will be stability in the hearts of some. Not all, 
but in the hearts of some. And it's those children that God is dealing with. Now, let me just, let me just uh, go a little bit further here. The opposite of this, of this word, uh, stability, would be unstable, uh, that we would uh, naturally would uh, say it that way. But I, I went and looked for it in the New Testament here, and it says in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Look at the definition down below here. It's empty, braggart talk, an insolent or empty assurance of something, which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. It's an empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. So pride exalts uh, the, the, the things that are contrary to divine laws. That's, that's the idea. And of the three major things that John warned us about, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not just, um, you know, that maybe somebody doesn't believe in God, but this is somebody who's willing to boast about the fact that we don't need God. You know what? I'm rich and increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. And our world is filled with that kind of a spirit that influences the attitudes of people, where they have a pride of life, and they are, uh, they're trusting in and presuming that, uh, you know, earthly things are going to be their answer. Politicians are going to be our answer. Another stimulus payment is going to solve our problems. And there's some people that feel like, oh, well, hey, you know, I, got a, I have four kids, so I got quite a stimulus check here in my pocket. You know what? And everything's great. And they trust in earthly things. They trust in things that are, are, are contrary to, uh, to, to God's ways. They trust in uh, voices that will lead them other ways. And they don't really care which way the, the voice of God goes. So you can see that this is an opposite uh, attitude that people would have. And it leads them to the place where they fall when the strong winds blow. They're rooted up when trouble comes, as Isaiah described. We find over in the book of James exactly the same word. For we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So that's why we come back to this phrase all the time. Well, Lord willing, we're going to do this. Lord willing, we're going to open the church. And Lord willing, we're going to hold this event or that event. Lord willing, I'm going to go here and, and I'm going to do, try to do something. Because, you know what? I'm acknowledging all the time that this is not my power. This is not my ability. But rather, you know what? I'm going to do this. And if God wants to shut it down, that's his prerogative. If God wants to throw a roadblock in the way, that's his prerogative. I'm going to, I'm going to accept that. So James says, ye rejoice in your boastings, and that boasting is evil. That's contrary to God's way. That's contrary to God's law. All right, <clears throat> testimony on the scene. Now, I want you to watch what Brother Branham says. In communism, he said, we're so scared that communism is set in. What's going to happen? Now, pause for a minute. This is 1964. This is the heyday of J. Edgar Hoover, who's putting every single person in jail who mentions the word communism in America. And everybody's afraid of communism. Everybody's afraid of what communism may bring. And there's a real, uh, there's a real uh, scare in the country, for sure. And so there are people then in the pulpit preaching against communism. And they're preaching about the, uh, you know, all the negative things that are related to it. And here's Brother Branham now in 1964. And, and this will mean more when you know a little bit about the background. Here's Brother Branham going in to the other extreme. He's not a communist, and he's not pro-communist. 
But he's letting everybody know communism is not the thing you need to fear. That's not the big enemy, guys. That's not the problem. And he's, as a prophet, he's lifted higher. He's looking at, at circumstances. He's looking and identifying the real enemy in this quote here. He's looking at the real, the real problem. But everybody's got this smoke screen in front of them of communism here. And uh, Brother Bram's telling him, hey, relax, boys. It's not communism. That's going to come and go. That's going to wane and wax here. Here's Brother Brown. But you know, he said, the great thing ain't communism. I ain't afraid of communism. But what I'm afraid of, you Pentecostals, this ecumenical council that's going to take you. That's the thing. This is 1964 now. It's going to form the mark of the beast, and you're going to have to go into it. Because when you're an organization... You have to get in or get out. So let's just say for a minute, let's pause for a minute, and let's just say this. What if we got into a real economic squeeze or a real economic place where the only income that you had for the most part was coming like a stimulus payment or something from the government? And the government said, here's your check, but here's a string attached to that. Or what if they said, your business can operate, but here's a string attached to that? Or what if you can open your churches, but there's a string attached to that? Let's just say. And wouldn't we agree that all of the congregation who's here, wouldn't you agree that some of those things are not so far-fetched anymore? He said it's going to turn into, turn into something. It's going to become something. When Methodists, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Pentecostals, you will have to deny your great apostolic doctrine to be in there. It's all consolidating with Rome, just exactly what's been proven. <laughs> Listen, folks, there's, there's what's really going on. He's telling you what's really going on and what not to fear. What's the matter with the preachers that let those things get in this condition without warning the people? God will require it at their hands, right in the time of trouble, Communism's not setting in. It's the ecumenical council is going to swallow up the whole bunch. Wow. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover would turn over in his... He wasn't even dead yet. But you can imagine how this is contrary to everything that's in every newspaper every day in, 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 in his time. This is not the message that's going on in the world. This is the message that a prophet is giving in, 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 in the same time. But the world is looking, they're clamoring after something else. And remember when you say, well, uh, you know, when it happens, then it's too late. Or w remember when you say, oh, I, I won't stay in it. I'll just go along for a while. It won't bother me. It won't hold me. He said it happens, then it's too late. You've done took the mark of the beast. You better get where you can get away from it now. Yes, sir. Be sealed in the kingdom of God. Stop. There's a lot of people who will say, well, you know what? Um, I've got to pay my mortgage, and I've got to feed my family, and I've got to do this, so I'll go along with it for a while, or I'll do this, I'll comply for a while, but I'll get out when it gets too tight, or I'll get out when, uh, you know, things get too, too close here. And Brother Ram's saying is a lot of people, a lot of people are going to uh, use that logic this is a logical way of looking at this. I need to survive, so I'm going to carry on and do this until it gets to the place where I can jump out and then I'll be okay. And he says, you better get where you can get away from it now. Yes, sir, and be sealed in the kingdom of God. Stop again. 
Last Sunday, we talked about that whole idea of desperation, right? Desperation is a response to an emergency. When, something, when a crisis happens, desperation throws you into action. Your fight-or-flight mechanism breaks, uh, you know, kicks in, and you respond to that because you're desperate now to alleviate the problem. Spiritual desperation knows that whatever God has said, it's going to come to pass. So therefore, I'm motivated to act because I know it's going to happen, even ahead of the crisis that goes on. And here's Brother Branham telling us, you better get where you can get away from it now and be sealed in the kingdom of God. Because we're not at that place yet, but let me tell you something, it's coming. It's coming to the place where people are going to be locked in the systems and locked in the circumstances and situations that are going to really, truly be controlled by Rome, and you're not going to have a way out. You're going to be locked in. And Brother Branham, I believe that's the whole point of desperation, is that when you're alerted to what's coming by the Word of God, then you can act on it now and be separate from all of this. Come out of her, my people. Come out and be apart from that. So that's the whole idea. And the body of Christ, he said, is the mystical body of Christ that's baptized into it by the Holy Spirit, not joined into it, talked into it, took into it, spoken tongues into it, shouted into it. You're born into it by the Holy Ghost. Let me read that again. The body of Christ is the the body of Christ is where you want to be, right? You want to be in God's chosen place with the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the mystical body of Christ that's baptized into it by the Holy Spirit, not joined into it, took into it, talked into it, spoken tongues into it, shouted into it. You're born into it by the Holy Ghost. That's right. Now, this is a good illustration of the mystical body of Christ, right? I know there's a body. I know there's an HBT body, but I don't see you. You're mystical to me this morning because you're not here. You're somewhere, but you're not here. So, in other words, this is like what Brother Branham saying, telling us about the body of Christ. It's not a physical union. It's a spiritual union of believers that are united by one thing. They have one thing in common, and that is the true baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they are connected by that. He said you're born into it by the Holy Ghost. That's right. So that's what we're a part of. And you don't have to be in a building to be in a part, in a part of uh, being a part of the body of Christ. But when we have an opportunity to get together, we certainly will. That's for sure. Now, <clears throat> I just wanted to, to read a little passage here. And, and this is, man, I... I, I we talk too much. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Let's just turn there for the last scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Good to hear those pages turning. We're back in Colossians 1 again. Let's look at what Paul writes. And you, verse 21, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now hath he reconciled, brought back together in harmony with Christ, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable, unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, there's the idea again, established, to be established in difficult times. If you continue in that faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, 
whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm willing to endure whatever I need to endure to bring the right word to the right people. I have a message. Paul said, you know, God's ordained me. God's raised me up as a a minister, a light to the Gentiles. And whatever I have to do, whatever it takes to get the right word to the right people, I'm willing to do it because the right word in the right season will accomplish the right thing. Are we okay? The right word in the right season will accomplish the right thing. And so, therefore, when that word is delivered to you, according to verse 23, you need to continue in that word and be settled in it, be grounded and settled in it, and, he that, and, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So in other words, when the message comes to you, it's come to you to bring you to where you need to be, to move you to the place where uh, you can manifest everything that God's predestinated you to manifest. All right? Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And verse 24, 25 is all about that, that this dispensation, I'm made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. It's not for Paul to build a kingdom, not for Paul to have a following. But Paul said that God has raised me up. God has adopted something in me to bring to you a word so that you can enjoy the glorious liberty of the sons of God, so that you can become everything that you need to become and are predestinated to become. Even the mystery which has been hid, 26, from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest... Now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, just for a moment here, Paul is using the phrase here uh, in verse 27, 28. He says, I've got it on the screen here, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or spiritually mature in Christ, whereunto I also labor. So he mentions that again, that no matter what it takes, he said, I'm willing to labor and to expend myself to bring the right word, to bring uh, to, to people the right word so that they can come to a place of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is the climax of adoption. Right? Spiritual maturity is where adoption brings us. Spiritual maturity is what is the result of all the training and all the, uh, all the process you go through and all the uh, faults and failures that you experience along the way and all the things you learn by suffering. All of those things contribute to your spiritual maturity. And Paul says, I'm willing to bring a word, and no matter what it takes, he said, I'll strive according to his working to bring a word to you, to bring you to spiritual maturity. Look, folks, I believe that that's, that's a great job description for Brother Branham as well. I mean, we, we refer to him as a prophet, and certainly he was. But really, when you look at Brother Branham's life, he, he, he let go of all of the glamour and the, and the income and the rewards in, in this life. He let go of all of that purposely. He kind of intentionally let it all go. And, and his focus was more on bringing a word to us that now is bringing us to a perfection. They're bringing us to a maturity. Now, we look at our flesh and we say, well, I'm far from perfect. And I would agree with that because in this, this flesh will never be perfect. Hey, I, I got news for you. This flesh is not even born again, right? And everybody said, 
Amen. But there's something on the inside that's being shaped for an eternal body on the other side. And the thing that's doing that is the Word of God that was brought to us by our messenger in our day. And Paul said that's exactly what he was doing, was, was teaching and warning every man and uh, admonishing everyone that we may present every man. The result of all the teaching and the result of all the preaching is not to have a big church, but is rather to bring people to the place of maturity. That's what we're trying to do, to bring people to a place of spiritually mature sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. That's the desire that he had. He said, that's what I'm willing to labor for. That's what I'm willing to do. The word uh, teaching here, it means to, to hold discourse in order to instruct. In other words, we're going to gather people together so we can teach them the things that are important here and to discharge the office of a teacher, to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, to expound on something, and, and to have that teaching go on and on and on and on until uh, we pass the class and we move on to another one. Because God wants you to continually pass. Fail is not in his repertoire. Fail is not in his lesson plan. He does not plan on any one of us failing. He's only got passing grades for his children. And they're all going to pass. They're all going to get to the place where God wants them to be, right? So teaching is that process of getting his word to you so that you can become what God's envisioned in the first place. Just like God envisioned Joseph to be a steward and to be a leader in in, uh, Pharaoh's Egypt, God envisioned you to stand as the bride of Jesus Christ. Now, I got got picked up this message, and uh, I I began to read it last night. This is the Christ of Mystery God Revealed. I've read the covers off. So let me just read you a little passage from the screen here, right? And then we'll find a wrapping up place here. Brother Bram's talking about how God through the ages did things, and he said, Here he is today in the same manner, by the same pillar of fire, expressing himself, vindicating himself the same as he did in other ages, revealing the mystery of God that's been hid since the foundation of the world. Paul only knew him by revelation. Peter knew him by revelation. Everyone through the ages only knew him by revelation. To really know God, you have to have a revelation of it. But notice what he's saying here. This is very important. He said he's here in the same manner by by the, the same pillar of fire, expressing himself and revealing something that's been hid since the foundation of the world. Paul's got a portion that he's teaching to the people in his day. We find it here in 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is revealing to the body by the same pillar of fire, by the same vindication. He's revealing a mystery that's been hid down through the ages, which is Jehovah of the old, God above us, God with us, and now God in us, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Brother Branham said that now he's here. Obviously, what Paul revealed was not everything. Because Brother Branham said now he's here revealing things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. So there was a mystery for Paul's day, just like there was a mystery for Luther's day and Wesley's day and so forth. There's a mystery for our day, something that God had hidden and brought down for our time. 
And here's a prophet on the earth to bring those things to us. Brother Bram saying that he walked with him, he talked with him, Paul did. Therefore, he said, you can, you can set this word. Now, I've just said that he was the word, and the scholar can sit down and read that word and tie up in knots, he said, if he wants to do it because he's smart and brilliant, Catholic priest, and he talks about the, the different theologians and so forth. Last paragraph, because he has known him in the flesh, in the word, but the only way you're saved by, uh, uh, to know him is by revelation. So what Brother Bram is clearly telling us is that in the last day, there is a revelation that God has re- stored up, if you like, or reserved for the last day, which reveals something that other ages never knew. It was a thing that was veiled, that other ages never experienced or never knew, that God was going to allow to come into view in the last day. Let me tell you something. The things that are contained in this message that unveils God are the things that are going to bring you to perfection. They're going to bring you to spiritual maturity. Those are the things that are going to get you to that other kingdom. Those are the things that are found in here, that are found in the message of the hour, because God has only one way of bringing his word to his people, and that's through a prophet, right? I'm being repetitive, and I'm being, uh, you know, very, very fundamental here. But the idea is that uh, God's got a message for each age, and God's got a, a, a message for each stage of the journey along the way. And those other saints of other ages have had their experience, and they've gone on uh, into glory, but now it's our time. And what God's given to us is a message that, that changes us and brings us to that place of the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Because this is the message that teaches us to stand up and say, we're bride. This is the message that teaches us to stand up and say, I'm a part of him in the same way that Eve was a part of Adam. I came from him. And I'll go back to him. When, when this body dissolves or when, uh, when, when the change comes, I'll go back to him. This is, that, this is that which teaches you to be able to profess the right thing, to be able to move forward in the right way, in the right direction, and to be able to make the right declaration along the way that I, I'm here because God placed me here. I'm here as a member of the bride of Jesus Christ. And I realize that in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the last day, I'm a part of that revealing. I'm a part of that revelation. I'm actually a part uh, that, that nobody saw because I was in Adam. Just like Eve could say, I was the part that was in Adam all that time. And when, when she stood alongside of him, he could say, ah, oh, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now he could identify her because she stood there. Let me tell you, we've been taken out of the side of this word, and we've been identified as the bride of Christ. And now we have a profession, we have a confession that we have for the rest of the world. Even if they don't believe it, we, we, we confess and say, we are members of the, of the bride of Jesus Christ. And the Word is the thing that teaches us to say that. The Word is the thing that gives us the guidance we need. And the Word is the thing that, uh, it, it, it's the thing that, uh, you know, it, it draws us to Him. And it keeps us following Him. And it keeps us moving in the right direction. The Word of God is the thing that does that. The message of the hour that God has given to us is the key to our, key to our completion of the journey, if you like. And everybody said, Brother Branham said that he's in the same, in exactly the same way, in exactly the same way that he wanted to, uh, to have his, his, um, in the same way that he wanted to reveal himself to Paul. It's exactly the same thing he's doing in our time. 
that he has, a, he has a prophet and he has a people who receive that word in that particular hour. Now, let me tell you something. The stability we have, the stability we enjoy, comes only from knowing who we are. The stability we have comes from the nature of Christ because he's a God who changes not. And if his life is in us, then you know what? We have a stability automatically. It, it, it's that which causes us not to run. We are rooted in the right things. We are grounded in the right things. We are stable. He says in 1965, how the wandering sons of God and wandering out there in the world, he said denomination to denomination like wandering stars, he said they're never stable. The wandering people of the earth, they're never stable. Like a leaf on the water in the autumn, the leaves would blow down, every little wind would blow it from side to side. But God wants us to be stable. God wants his people to be stable. The only thing that keeps you stable is the consistency of the Word of God. That's the only thing that keeps us stable. Anchored in Jesus, the storms of life I'll brave. I'm anchored in Jesus, and I'll fear no wind or wave. Many of you remember the Inchcape Bell when you were in school. The Inchcape Bell. And I looked at that and I thought, I've never heard of an Inchcape Bell. And Brother Branham was referring to a poem. I wrote the name of the author there, Robert Southey, who lived in like 1800 and wrote this sonnet about a story of a lighthouse that was out there that kept all the ships from, uh, from uh, um, crashing on the, on the shoreline. And some pirates came along and stole the, the light from the lighthouse, and they wanted to have it for themselves. And a couple of years later, they came back by the same region, and they shipwrecked on that same rock and died right there because there was no light. And, and this is the story of the Inchcape Bell. You can look it up. And uh, Brother Branham, you know, in, in reference to the world and the rest of the world, and our musicians can come uh, if you don't mind. In, in reference to the rest of the world, hey, they put down, they put out the voice that was meant to lead them and protect them in the hour that we've come to. But, but when the danger really arises, when the danger really uh, surfaces there, they've got no light to guide them. They put it, they've, they've taken it and put it in somewhere else. Uh, they enjoyed it for a season, but it was, it was not where it was supposed to be. Let me tell you something. God's people, we have, we have this constant banner. The Lord is our banner. He's still Jehovah Nissi. He's the one that we look to. And we look to his promises and hold on to them. Because as long as we can keep him in view, as long as we keep his word in view, there'll be no shipwreck for God's people. There'll be no shipwreck for the bride of Christ. God wants you to be stable. God wants you to be solid. God does not want you to be running to and fro uh, in the time we're living in. He doesn't want you to be fearful about the future that lays ahead. There is nothing about our future that is worth worrying about. There is absolutely nothing about our future that we should be afraid of. Are there things going to happen we, we can't predict? Absolutely. I'll guarantee you that. Because we know things can change very quickly and change very unexpectedly. But it's not something that we're afraid of because we believe that God has stable, stable people prepared for unstable times. That's where we find ourselves. Heavenly Father, we are a people, Lord, who are appreciative of the word that's been given to us. A word, Lord, that gives us stability in troubled times. We are thankful, Lord Jesus, that we have a hand that we can reach to. And we know, Lord, that you, you see the events that, that, that lay ahead of us. You see the circumstances that surround us. There's nothing, nothing at all too great for you. 
And so, Lord, we put our trust in you. May now your Holy Spirit come and speak to our hearts. Lord, may you just give us, I pray, that steadfastness in following your word and trusting in your promises, Lord, for our day. We just want to say we love you and we thank you. We invite your presence, Lord, to be very real today. Bless our worship now, Lord, I ask. And Lord, for those who are sick, those who are needy, there are marriages and homes that need stability in uncertain times. And I ask, Lord, that you would just bring strength where it's needed today. We look to you as the same yesterday, today, and forever. And invite you, Lord, to be that supernatural God that supplies along the way. We thank you, Lord, for our time together and ask your blessing upon each family in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. His strength is perfect when our strength is
today and being able to hear it in person. Amen. It was just such a blessing. Amen. I trust you was able to receive that same blessing. Amen. As we close, I'd like to end on a high note. Amen. And take the time since we got all the musicians here and sing These Are the Days of Elijah. Amen. I think it would be really fitting the message that came forward today. Amen. Hallelujah. We just pray that you'll just sing it with us now. Amen. Musicians. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine, darkness and soul, still we are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare the way of the Lord, behold He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet's call, lift your voice, it's near up to out of sight to salvation come. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. These are the days of your servant. are the days of the harvest, oh, 